We're back. At least we're back doing another season of the Thought Row podcast. Yes. How exciting. It is. And it was a greatly needed break. But, you know, I have to admit, I did miss the conversations we have with our creative guests. And there were some very creative guests. I, I have to agree. Yeah. We certainly have been, you know, we, you and I have been really fortunate that we were able to talk to so many really talented people. Yes, and we have some pretty interesting guests lined up. And this first episode is from a very talented writer from England. Hi, everyone. Hope you've been having a wonderfully creative week. I'm Rod Jones, and we celebrate what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice so you can learn and be motivated by their life's experiences. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to Thought Road Podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen, and we focus on sharing with everyone how they can think, be, and live more creatively. So why don't you tell our listeners who our mm-hmm. guest is today. Okay, well, today we're going to be speaking with Emily Shalom, and she's an author, poet, and musician based in Cambridge, England. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, well, you know, this was the week that, um, unfortunately, Queen Elizabeth passed away. True. So I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about that with our guest, yeah. seeing how she's from England. Yeah, she is from England. Uh, but how about let's start with your quote to open this season's episode. Yes, season three opening quote. Here it is. Well, I really wanted to get a quote from Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, and um, I found a really great quote. So here it is. I know of no single formula for success, but over the years, I have observed that some attributes of leadership are universal and are often about finding ways of encouraging people to combine their efforts, their talents, their insights, their enthusiasm, and their inspiration to work together. And, of course, that's by Queen Elizabeth II. What a great quote, I think. It's a great quote, but it also kind of exemplifies how she lived her life, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, very inspirational and and then engaging people and, and... and motivating. Motivating, them. exactly. You, you know, I have to admit, um, I was really sorry to hear of her passing. And I know you, me, our daughter, other members of our family always listened to her yearly speech. I looked forward to that. Absolutely. And, and the, her delivery and the way that she and her words were always so comforting. And it was filled with optimism. You know, she was a lady that was filled with Dignity. Dignity. That's an excellent word to describe the queen. Mm -hmm. Um, But how about let's get on with our interview with Emily. Emily, we're so pleased to have you as a guest, and we're really looking forward to learning more about your journey as a writer and a poet. Hi, Emily. Yes, we're so excited to have you with us today, and we're also going to chat with you about your career in music and entertainment. Hello, Rod and Inti. It's lovely to be here with you, and I'm excited to hear where the discussion leads to. Well, I think it's going to be a good one because you're so talented. Absolutely. And all our listeners love to hear what other talented people are doing. You know, before we we get into this... um, Unfortunately, uh, the Queen passed away, I guess it was yesterday, and by the time this show airs, it's going to be a week later, but you're a British citizen, so we thought we'd get a little bit of input about how that... Yeah, what are your thoughts on that, What are your thoughts? Well, my immediate reaction is one of deep sadness. She's been a a stalwart in all of our lives here in Britain for for generations, really. And uh, obviously, I grew up um, with grandparents and um, relatives who um, really idolised her and saw her as a figure of 
of stability and um, kindness and and um, dignity. So um, essentially, it is a sad point in this country's history, and I'm not quite sure where it will go from here. I hope I hope it will um, stabilize at some point. Well, I know Americans have tremendous have always had tremendous respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, Actually, for the monarch family, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and for us personally, you used a word that I love to use when referring to Her Majesty, and that is the word dignity. Um, she exemplifies that word. And in America, I think we see it in a lot of our own local media, and you can sense a sadness, but a sadness. Sorry, but it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. But anyway, let's move on with the. Uh, our interview with yeah, you. definitely. So why don't you, we know you're from England, so why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're originally from, where you grew up, and where you're living now? Um, well, you've organized that question quite nicely for me because I um, have traveled basically a triangle across the country. I was born in London. Um, I spent my first two years there. Obviously, I don't remember them at all um but i lived in hackney for a couple of years and then i grew up uh for most of my childhood um in glastonbury which is in the west coast and the west country of england so the west of england and um that was a very magical place um obviously it's steeped in folklore um and mythology and um, spirituality. So that has impacted my writing greatly. And at the moment, I'm living in Cambridge. I moved here when I was 12. And um, apart from three years in Liverpool for university, I've pretty much remained here, dotted around the city. And um, yeah, um, that triangle really sums up my life, London, uh, Glastonbury and Cambridge. Do you have a favourite childhood memory? Um, the one that sticks out in my mind is um, when I was at St Ben's Primary School in Glastonbury I I really wasn't happy and um, a lot of the kids there empathised and sympathised with my attitudes and um, I essentially arranged a mass walkout of the school and a group gathered at the back gates and I soon realised that um, no one would come with me and I thought instead of having it as a complete failure of a mass walkout, I'll, I'll leave. So I ran home, and I ran home so fast that I gave myself heat stroke. Oh, <laughs> and no. I woke up... Um, yeah, and I woke up in my room with... Um, obviously, everyone was very worried about me, and um, I'd just gone home and gone to bed, essentially. But um, the police were in my room, and the headmistress, and my dad was very much not happy. So um, that was my hilarious first attempt at... Um, social change really and um i like to think i channel my energies in a more productive and uh, reasonable manner now yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a, so true that's oh my a great gosh. story that's a great story really thank you i'm glad you were okay though my goodness even though the heat stroke was probably not it wasn't great in chino but um essentially i did survive to tell the tales so that's something there we go. <laughs> good for you though okay so let's move yeah. forward to today emily and tell us about what you're doing currently and what you are most proud of Okay, well, um, at the moment, I'm writing my seventh book. It's about 20,000 words long, so maybe um, approaching the halfway point if it's a short book or, you know, onwards from there. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I uh, spend a lot of time promoting and um, distributing my first uh, five books, which are available. And um, I'm currently looking for a literary agent for my sixth book, and I also, um, uh, the, the thing I'm most proud of, though, is uh, definitely my first book, The Religion of Self-Enlightenment, mm. which has been labelled a cult sensation here in Cambridge um, by local press. And um, it's selling really well. Waterstones is stocking it and um, various bookshops. And uh, I have a talk at Watkins Books in London coming up. Uh, it's penciled in for March next year. So a book talk in London is definitely something I'll look forward to immensely and um, I'm in various magazines and um, I have YouTube interviews and I'm also releasing an album of music so um, yeah we'll get into into music Uh, but um, Emily why don't you tell us a little bit about that first book what what is it without giving away the plot what is it all about 
Well, it's about um, a man who is described as being proudly boring. Um, he's very, very robotic in his attitudes and his behaviours. He has a girlfriend he doesn't care about, a job he doesn't care about, and he feels he's hurting towards a pointless extinction, and this depresses him greatly. Um, but when he actually um, physically dies in a car accident... He has what is termed as a near-death experience and no one believes him. So he goes on a journey of self-reflection and self-discovery and this kind of thing and essentially writes a whole new religion um, based on love and oneness and this kind of thing in an attempt to save the world, essentially. Wow, that's a nice little tantalizing um, description. I make I want to read this at this point. It sounds so exciting. But I think a lot of people can kind of relate to some of his feelings that he has in the book. So I think that would be... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've had so many people say to me um, that the main character could be them and this kind of thing. And um, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. often, actually, people make the joke um, when I say it's about a boring man. They say, is it about me? And um, <laughs> about 10 people have made that joke to me at this point. So oh, <laughs> it, it does resonate with people. Yeah, yes. yes. Very funny. You, you know, I've heard you mention <laughs> the term enlightenment, especially when we had our first interview with you. Mm -hmm. And you seem to pick up on that theme in your writing and in your poetry. How did you come to pursue that direction? What does enlightenment mean to you? Well, um, as a believer in reincarnation and a lot of Eastern philosophy, um, I see enlightenment as the point where you have learned your lessons and you have experienced um, <coughs> excuse me, experienced life um, in its fullness and um, essentially you have surpass the the maze of experience that is required to become a whole and unified and beautiful loving human being so essentially you can be enlightened in this life but i imagine it's a um it involves um experiences in worlds beyond our own as well and um the reason i called the book the religion of self-enlightenment is because i was uh, sitting in my garden one day and i thought because our beliefs are so varied like we all have our, a, a fingerprint which is unique an iris which is unique and our perceptions of life are very unique as well and no one can agree on anything really um, past what we can see and touch and taste and feel. I thought someone should relate, uh, invent a religion of self. And then I realized if you put an E on the end, the acronym was ROSE, which I thought was incredibly beautiful. So I was racking my brain thinking, what word begins with E and would suit uh, the religion of self something or other? And it, it, it came to me that enlightenment was uh, a great word to throw in there and obviously having done some research on the age of enlightenment as well i can see elements of that in the book wow yeah, yeah. that is such a like an amazing description of enlightenment and um just the evolution of someone's spirit i like thank you for that wow i'm, I'm stunned you're so welcome thank you i am stunned on that one um do you feel like once a person reads um, your book that it will help them to maybe think along those terms? If Let's say they're totally not into enlightenment or totally not into any of this spiritual stuff. If they read the book, will they have a better understanding of maybe their own spiritual journey and it would open up that kind of... Uh, or self-reflection. or self, Yeah, self-reflection. Well, it's an interesting question. I have had a review that says, uh, it's just a one-line review, and it says, this book helped me. And it was one of the most touching reviews I've uh, received, actually. And I remember when I when I read it first, I was in London with some friends in Camden, and um, I, was, I was really taken aback that um, my words could assist on someone's journey of understanding, really. And, um, yeah, the book itself is, 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 is about chaos and questioning and over overthinking things essentially mm -hmm. but the beauty of it is that it provides answers as well so if you've been searching all your life for the the meaning behind things and this kind of thing you, you will not only empathize with the main character and his journey but also it can inform you of some of the understandings that other people have reached as well um because it's not just my own understandings I've put in that book. I've been around very many interesting people in my life, and mm -hmm. they've informed my thinking, obviously. Sure. So I include that in 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 uh, my gratitude to them knows no bounds. And um, 
their thoughts have become my thoughts. And, and that, luckily, the beauty of literature is that when you find something worth sharing, if you phrase it right and connect with people in a certain way, you can share it with mul- many, many people. And um, that's what hap- what is it happening with this book. And um, I recently received a review, called it, a review calling it life-changing. And I mm. thought that was particularly poignant. And... Um, yeah, I'm really touched by the response that the books had. Um, but um, obviously, um, like you say, some people don't un- understand right. the concept of enlightenment, don't have any time for enlightenment, and um, they they won't see any, any beauty in my book. But that's more a uh, reflection of their attitudes and their mindset than mine. Sure. I sure think that's is. the power of literature. It really is. I mean, you can... You can almost find any philosophy that you want to explore if you just find the right book. And apparently a lot of people have found your book and they're experiencing yes, their congratulations own. Congratulations. Yeah, on they're that. experiencing their own enlightenment. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Someone someone said that they um in the same way that I locked myself in a room for three days when I found the catcher in the rye, people say that they've locked themselves in the room for three days and read The Religion of Self-Enlightenment. That's a full circle to me, which is breathtaking. That, you know, that is really amazing. We were just talking about Catcher in the Rye, and we're both like, oh, we really need to reread book. this book. Yeah, so that's really yeah. interesting you said that. I have mixed emotions about it, yeah. but I intend on, I haven't read it in, <laughs> I haven't what, read it in years. 30 yeah. years, yeah. probably. Time to read it again. But... But, well, yeah. you're not going to end up like a Pierre Salinger there, are you? You're going to have J.D. Salinger. J. J. Salinger. Pierre, Pierre, I, I don't think you want to end up like Pierre Salinger. He's a political <laughs> yes. guy. But you're not going to write one book and then steal away in the night and never be seen again, are yeah, you? Yeah, please no. Um, um, I'm not, obviously. Um, that's an option when you um, start with the bang. And I really spent eight years writing my first book. So a lot of what I wanted to say to the world is condensed into one novel. But I find myself with more to say. And so I will find a way to communicate that with that with people and um, hopefully um, produce more literature along the way. I mean, the great thing about being a writer is your peak can come when you're in your 70s. You know, no one knows what's going to happen. So, um, I just keep um, devoting myself and applying myself and using my talents for good as as far as I'm concerned. I think in my own writing experience, when I write something that I think is pretty decent and has is profound, Mm. um, you always ask yourself, is there anything else left or am I going to be able to do better than this or come up with something more interesting. I think that's always a challenge for any writer. Um, but, you know, you're obviously yeah. exploring, and who knows, there may be, that may be your best book, but I highly suspect it's not going to be. And maybe when you're 70, <laughs> you're going to turn out something that is brilliant. It's an evolution, always, that, you know, and I think... We that, all learn. Yeah, you, you just keep evolving in writing. But, you know, I wanted to ask you about... Um, when we had our initial interview with you, you had talked about how um, your family has been very inspirational in your creativity. And, um, you know, I consider anyone that is pursuing a creative talent to be super lucky, especially if they've had family members that are already accomplished in that area. And um, so tell us a little bit about that, Emily. Um, Well, basically, I was born to two journalists um, in the 80s. My mother worked for a music magazine and interviewed Richard Attenborough at some point in time, the Mm. filmmaker. And, um, yeah, essentially, she was quite a high flyer. And my my father co-founded CTW, which is a computer magazine that was in Britain at the time. And um, with a couple of friends, he co-founded it. And he sold his shares when I was born to have a house so he could raise me in it. Um, but he, uh, um, the, the the two stories dovetail slightly because my mother suffered greatly with mental health issues mm. and um, sadly took her life um, when I was 19 years old. So her career came, that. you know, oh and gosh. life came to a brutal end. Um, but my father is still a journalist and he's also written a book about his experience in, in the media industry. And... Um, a, a, a business engagements and this kind of thing he's sometimes called the 
best journalist in Cambridge, so <laughs> by other people, <laughs> which is, you know, really touching and, and, and nice, and it's nice that his hard work is appreciated. You oh, know? of course. It must oh, make yeah. you very proud, too. Well, this is where, yeah, genetically, you can't help but be a writer at this point, Emily. Yeah, the, as they say, the ink is yeah. in your blood. The ink is in your blood and also in your spirit. There's just no way you cannot... I absolutely agree, Inchi, and I, 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 I tend to feel that our, um, artists, writers, um, philosophers are born and not made, you know. I don't think you can teach someone, even if you a, a, applied teaching to mm-hmm. a, a child from a young age and, and brought them up to write correct English, um, there's no guarantee that they'll have anything, you know, worthwhile to communicate. And the, and the beauty of life is that we all have our skills. It's very much like a rainbow situation where I can't cook, but another person out there is an amazing chef, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I can't run very fast, but another person out there is, you know, um, very fast. And um, <laughs> yeah, a triathlete, exactly. And um, my skill happens to be writing and I, I'm really plowing that furrow for all it's worth at this point in time. And um, like I say, applying my talents to... Um, to help people, you know, to, for good use. This may be a, a kind of maybe a too personal of a question, but I know a lot of creative people, especially writers, when you read about writers' lives, um, like one really famous one was a, a Pulitzer Prize winning author, but he lived his life as a longshoreman, and maybe that helped in his writing. Do you Do you work... At an occupation that helps you with your writing? Um, well, I've worked in the music industry for a, a while on the on the outskirts, and that certainly was an insight into the create that creative side of things. But at the moment, I I just volunteer at a bookshop, which um, you know is kind of like a square peg in a square hole. It's a, a writer working in a bookshop suits me and suits suits my employers or whatever you know as 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 uh, very well. And um, yeah, I'm really pleased to have just started uh, working in a bookshop for six years. I was um, mainly writing actually, and I've produced five or six or seven books in that time I lose count obviously but um essentially essentially I've been using my time productively and uh, now I feel that a work-life balance is is called for I think I think that's very well put because so often creative people uh, artists are the worst at this they say gee if all I had to do is just paint all day well, if they paint it all day, they may not be as good of an artist, just like I mentioned the longshoreman, Eric Hoffer. Unloading mm-hmm. and loading ships as a stevedore gave him time to think and be creative. And so consequently, ultimately, that ended up in his novels, and he became very famous. But nobody will ever consider him famous as a stevedore, but certainly as an author. But if he wasn't loading and unloading ships, he would have starved. So I think that's uh, kind of an important thing today. I want to ask you, uh, writing is pretty much a solitary occupation, and I'd like to know how has that affected you? And after you answer that, just for fun, tell us what a day in the life of Emily is like. (laughs) Well, um, writing is a solitary occupation, but I've become, as I have gotten older really I've become more and more comfortable in my own company and um, I find engaging with people can inspire great ideas and bring so much uh, inspiration and um, energy to, to your world however when it comes to the creative process no one can hold that hold your hand and guide you through it so you have to kind of uh, go on your own initiative and your own instincts and this kind of thing and um Previously, I'd write for like 12 hours a day when I was writing The Religion of Self-Enlightenment. Um, and I'd, I, I'd, I'd obsess about everything to do with the, the book. And then I'd take breaks for six months, get a job and work, and then come back to it and be obsessed with it for six months. And it, it went on and off like that throughout the creative process. But now I kind of um, spend my days waiting for inspiration. And I only really write when um, the lightning bolt strikes, if you like. And um, thankfully, um, I've never had a dry patch. And um, 
the 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 words are flowing uh, so to speak and um i'm very pleased with the direction that everything's going in um but um yeah i mean as i say it's it's a long path and who knows what the future holds well that's a day in the life of emily for sure well yeah and then also i i, I think that the way that you did your first book where you, you took six months on and six months off, it's kind of that gave you time to ruminate in what you really wanted to write and also your feelings can, you know, then develop and evolve. Also, I think working in a bookshop, um, it I just, think that's it just smells, thing, it just yeah. smells like brilliance when you walk in the door. And not to mention the fact, I think it's very interesting, the people that are browsing in there, and they're picking up different mm-hmm. titles, and you could just see them getting absorbed in it. And I think there's just a very, very unique uh, feeling that you get when you're in a bookstore as opposed Absolutely. to looking on Amazon to buy a book. It's not the same. It's just not the same. No. The other day when we went in that yeah, bookshop, you're right. Angie and I went in a bookshop the other day, and it just, I don't know. I both never of, wanted to leave, Yeah, we honestly. just took this huge sigh of relief. It just it. felt such a comfortable place to be. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, books are doing very well, um, thanks to the pandemic in some ways. I mean, people seem to have a passion for reading, even though they have all these distractions going on social media and whatnot. Um, And that's um, to the human race's credit, I feel. Books are invaluable and carry wisdom and and, and, uh, beauty, you know, in in spades. That's so true. And it's so good that people are maybe starting to pick up a book over social media and you know yeah i've seen them yeah you see um photos of people on the tube in london and everyone's got a book all in a row and um (laughs) it's a really beautiful thing actually to think books continue to bring people such joy um even though times have been very tricky and it was very unclear for a long time which industries would thrive and which would um fall by the wayside mm-hmm. in this endless process of financial evolution you know so true so um true. but yeah books are doing well yeah and speaking of books we know you are an author of six books and you're working on your seventh currently and some Correct. of the books that you have written are poetry um, but we also understand that you're very musically talented. Can you tell us a little bit about your musical career? Of course. And uh, you're right to ask because it's a fascinating story. I basically picked up the guitar when I was 14, decided it hurt my fingers, and then um, restarted the whole thing when I was 16 and started writing my own songs, which made people cry. And it was all very emotional, um, finding that way to connect my inner world through a creative passion for the first time. And um, fast forward a few years, I um, had demo CDs recorded on a home eight track that I would hand out to singers and bassists at university. And I had the opportunity to be in a band there that I believe would have been extraordinary and it's hard to think of that now because the music industry is in such a mess Mm -hmm. but back in the back in the day bands were quite common and um i was planning to be in one but i got stage fright i my you know i was like a deer in headlights and i ran away from the whole thing Mm -hmm. ended up having a nervous breakdown about um the decisions i made during that time um but because it was just after my mother's sad passing Mm -hmm. um I really wasn't in the emotional headspace to deal with any kind of success in the music industry. But obviously, I still had a passion for it. And in 2016, I started, or 2014, rather, I started recording in a studio near Cambridge with a great producer, uh, Mick. And um, over the course of eight years, I've managed to eke out an album, which is uh, my pride and joy at the moment, I'll be honest. Oh, how wonderful. I'm glad you went you went back after feeling so overwhelmed by it because I think that was just a little too soon after, you know, all of the events that took place with your mom and Yeah, any anyone who knows about sudden deaths will know that you need time to grieve afterwards and unfortunately, um because it was um in my adolescence, I was really becoming an adult with a uh, a crippled emotional inner world and um that was a uh, a volcanic combination and um, led to a lot of heartbreak and and painful situations for not just being me but my family and friends and I'm potential sure. bandmates as well you know um but 
like I say, when someone leaves suddenly, you do need years to um, rebalance yourself and um, see the joy in life again, really. I'm sure. You really but do. That's just part of the healing process, yeah, I think. Yeah, it is. It really Absolutely, is. yeah. So I forgive myself, but also, like I say, utilizing talents is the name of the game in my eyes. And um, I'm so pleased that... Um, my album um, Glastonbury's Child will be available on streaming sites soon and um, I can't wait for people to hear it well when when it arrives on on streaming maybe you can send us a link to it and we will put it up on your um, show guest page so people can can stream it and check it out because it sounds so good I want to stream it me too <laughs> so Emily, yeah, there are about three or four tracks which are really good on it. So okay. yeah, I'd be happy to. We will listen. To, we'll listen to it all, and then we'll guess which are the your favorite. <laughs> good plan. How has your writing affected your pursuit of other forms of creativity uh, and entertainment? And then also, kind of adding to that, what do you think passion, or why do you think passion, is so important? Oh, um, basically, um, I think if you're a writer, you're constantly looking for uh, input from your environment, which um, can be translated into prose. And um, that's how I spend my days. You know, every interaction has potential and every um, thought um, leads to, you know, a, a whole dominoes of, of scenarios of, uh, of, of possibilities and this kind of thing. And um, essentially, writing impacts most of your life if if you devote yourself to it like anything you know and mm-hmm. um like an athlete needs a particular diet and a particular training regime you know writers need constant um inspiration from their external environment in order to kind of like um translate that into literature um the second part of your question is about passion isn't it if you just yes. remind me what it was about uh, why do you think passion is so important? Um, well, essentially, if you don't love what you do, then you're doing the wrong thing in my eyes. And um, a passion for um, your output and um, your reputation and um, the way people see you, if you want first-rate um success really in in your field then um you're going to need some passion for what you do i've got a a question that i want to ask you because i've asked this of myself and i've asked this of other creative people what if you didn't depend upon outside resources for inspiration what if you only looked within and explored your own spiritual side and took your cues from that side as to what you may want to write uh, philosophically or even maybe something a little bit more mundane. Instead of, uh, writers often say that they want to be around lots of people, they want to overhear conversations, they want to hear what other people are saying, and then they'll make that, that'll go into their uh, book like F. Scott Fitzgerald. I mean, it was mm-hmm. the party that really got him going, and plus, what he knew was going on by what he read in the newspapers. But I wonder about writers and artists, for that matter, that never go outside of their own thinking for inspiration. They only look within, and they do not allow other outside sources to impact that creativity. Have you ever had that experience yourself? Well, I rely on my inner world to conduct my creativity to uh, an immeasurable extent. And um, essentially, um, I was when I wrote The Religion of Self-Enlightenment in particular, it was really my inner world was in turmoil and I needed to express the things that I've learned along the way in a coherent, externalised format. And um, I, that's why I'm so proud of the book, because I think I've clearly you know in my eyes managed to do that and um yeah it's interesting i mean moments of inspiration are like you say um from your internal world as well as external experiences and um i think probably the best way forward is to have a balance between them because if you go too into your inner world you can really spin out and um lose your orientation in life 
um, which is quite scary. And so you need a certain, to a certain extent, to connect with the people and, and um, environment you're in. And um, yeah. a balance between the two, it probably um, leaves room for inspiration all over the shop, you know. So um, that's probably the best. But um, there will be more... Yeah, thank you. And there uh, will no, be th- more internal. A, I'm sorry. I think that is. A, I think you answered that yeah, brilliantly. Um, and that's something. Oh, that's something that people can kind of apply to themselves. Yeah. Right. And no matter what their creative process is, it's okay to go right. outside of yourself. It's okay to go inside yourself. It's okay to harmonize yeah, between exactly. the two. And your answer was yeah. pretty much, "It's okay." I like that. Yeah, I yeah, balance is a key yeah. word. No, that's for Thank sure. Thank you so much. You know, um, philosophy is almost a science in itself, and I think every writer becomes philosophical, even, even if it's just conversations they have with themselves. Or this conversation. Yeah, or this conversation. <laughs> Do you ever have those philosophical chats with yourself? Well, I'm a very philosophical person, and my grandfather, talking about familial connections with what you do, my grandfather was a philosopher, and he lectured at the American University in Cairo and universities in London and this kind of thing. So I have a very genetically philosophical brain, according to my aunties at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, two of the main things that I, I, I mull over in my internal world are the basics of physics. Um, for example, how every atom fulfills its 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 role in the universe seamlessly it seems to me and um you know fire never becomes water water never you know they're they're all distinct and completely um capable of functioning as a whole without human interference and i think that's absolutely remarkable i think the universe we live in not just planet earth or the solar system you know but the entire comp- complex picture that we're a part of is phenomenal. So I spend a lot of time thinking about that. And um, the second thing I often think of is how everything you say and everything you are and everything you do is like a domino and that impacts what other people are and say and do. And um, all of history has led to this moment. So use it well. And I, I often think, you know, we have a personal responsibility to improve employ our skills yes but also be good citizens of the world and this kind of thing be good be good lovers be good partners be good friends and good family members and 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 if we all play our part then everything functions well so i i mull over these things regularly if i'm honest and um really think about the wonder of it all oh nice um you know We're going to ask this question to you two different ways. This is the first one, and then a little bit later we're going to ask this question slightly different. But the interesting thing about pursuing any form of creativity is we're all not perfect, certainly not every day. And when it comes to Mm -hmm. moving forward with our ideas, um, what do you do when the creative muse leaves the room and you just can't come up with anything? You fix a cup of tea, do you go for a walk? You go to your bookstore. Well, I don't write. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's an interesting question. I don't. I I definitely don't write in a kind of like um, formulaic, robotic, uh, dictatorial fashion. I never sit down and think, right now, I'm going to write for three hours and I'm going to do five thousand words or anything like that. I'm much more organic with how I approach. Uh, my work and um, I really let inspiration take over to a certain extent and um, yeah that that puts a whole different spin on it so if you have a downtime where you're not incredibly creative and this kind of thing be patient be um, forgiving and um, sometimes we all need breaks for example between my sixth and seventh books I took about six months a year where I didn't write anything at all mm-hmm. and I thought that was um very good for me because when I reapproached a new novel I was full of ideas you know and sometimes we need downtime as well as the more fruitful um eras of our creative life really well all so famous true. artists the, you know Picasso all of them they had what they used to refer to as their painting season 
and they would take off mostly to some warm beach place, hang out for a month or more and do absolutely nothing. And then they would come back and they would be extremely productive. So I think your strategy there, uh, you're in good company. Definitely. Oh, thank you. That's a great, a great little anecdote. I love it. Um, you know, we know from our discussions with you that you are very creative. That's very obvious. Um, what has been your personal driving force, and what would you tell others that want to f- follow their own creative dreams? Well, going back to um, the idea that um, artists, writers are born and not made, I had an interesting dialogue with my nanny when I was a child, and she told me I'd be a writer because she had a dream of me being a writer on the radio. And when I was a writer on BBC Radio at the tail end of last year, I I spoke to her for the first time in several years Mm -hmm. due to a falling out, a family rift or whatever. And I mentioned that I was on the radio and it would be a nice full circle if she could listen. And she did. And, um, yeah, I I just feel like I'm in the right vocation and I'm doing the right things with my life. And that is an invaluable feeling because... As we well know, all of us, um, the world is very chaotic at the moment. And if you're playing your part well and to the best of your ability, then that's all you can do, really. Yeah, exactly. So I'm glad, true. I'm glad you and your true. auntie got back together. Yeah. Um, this is the other part of that question. Every successful creative person tries to be original and authentic. But there are times when we all have some self-doubt. How do you manage to get through those times when you have self-doubt? Well, as anyone who knows me knows, I have a burning passion for um, especially the religion of self-enlightenment, but to a certain extent, all my books. And um, I don't really struggle with self-doubt. I more feel the confusion, like, why is it taking so long? You know, all these kind of questions. And I spoke to someone at the London Book Fair who said the average trajectory of a best-selling novel (laughs) is 10 years. And the religion of self-enlightenment is about six years, and it's already been declared a cult sensation. So it's doing quite well, but that is a long trajectory, you know. And um, unfortunately, you can't just click your fingers and differentiate between thousands of books that are published every year and see which ones are good and which ones are not and sometimes successful books are really not good and sometimes good books that get left on a pile and I there's no rhyme or reason to the creative process in that sense you know and sometimes it takes hundreds of years to rectify a fault you know a forgotten book becomes a bestseller finally years after the author's death and this kind of thing so it's really like hit and miss and um yeah, any creative person knows it can be very frustrating at times. Well, my tip to myself and all of us is to their own self be true. Uh, you just really have mm. to do what you feel is right in your so heart. So true, and then also and, don't take anything personally that your novel or whatever you your book you've written or a book is not at the top of the charts. It does not, like you were saying, Emily, it does not really reflect on your writing. No matter what you're doing creatively, mm. you just have to be true to yourself and That's rather so you true. get the accolades do not mean you're great. Mm-hmm. Um, how you yeah, feel about absolutely. it is is how you personally feel about it is what's most important and what you derive from it. You could sit there and yeah. write a great book. Like and apparently you have done this, Emily. You've actually reflected back on your own writings, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. it's really the interesting thing about that. I think is if you go back and read your book. You put it down, you don't read it for five years or ten years, and you pick it up and read it. You get a whole different outlook on it because your your mind and your life and your thoughts have changed so much. It's the same with a piece of art. When Angie and I have had the opportunity to go to a famous museum and look at a great piece of art and go, oh, wow, this is so wonderful, get real excited about it. And we come back five years later and look at each other and go, why the heck did we like this piece of art? We all change. It's so true. It can be the same with literature. For example, I read The Prophet when I was about 17 by Khalil Gibran, yeah. and I thought Everybody's it was awful. Everybody's read that book. And w- 
I know, but when I reread it when I was 22 or something like that, I thought it was amazing. I couldn't understand what I've missed the first time, but because everyone raved about it, I felt obliged to return to it and see what they were all the fuss was about. And I really saw it the second time, so it works both ways, really. Well, during the 60s and 70s, I'm pretty sure of this, that book was on every shelf in America. And if you went over to somebody's house and they didn't have a copy of that, you thought there was something wrong with them. Like, how, how will you ever Brilliant. be happy in life if you have not read that? <laughs> well, I tend to agree after reading it twice. So, um, yeah. yeah, but going back to your earlier question of what inspires me, I definitely have to mention my faith. And I, 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 really, I really have strong faith. And uh, I won't go into it too deeply, but that keeps me here and keeps me breathing and alive and pursuing a beautiful life, you know. Um, so that is something that I'm very grateful um to have within my inner world, you know. Faith is very, very important, and we adhere to that ourselves. And, uh, yeah, good for you. Yeah, that's, where, that's right so where good you to hear. Yeah, thank you. So good to hear. You yeah. know, I wanted to ask you about social media. And I know that all creative people are on social media currently, I think, most of them anyway. But um, keeping it brief, has that worked for you as a writer well, as anyone who's been friends with me on Facebook for more than about a year will testify, I have really struggled to find a balance between mm. um, using social media to connect with people in a positive and uplifting manner, which I can do, mm-hmm. and also destroying your life via social media, oversharing, and, you know, when you're not feeling well in yourself, you know, um, you have access to everyone you know, which is can be very distressing, mm-hmm. and... Um, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. But um, when people send me photos of my book arriving with them, it is a joy of my life. So I will remain with social media for the time being. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. just kind of curious about that because you see, like you said, people oversharing sometimes or absolutely, you can you can see that they're not having a good spell in their life and it's like they're oversharing yeah. on that by quotes and all different things like It becomes that. their confessional. Yes. <laughs> they have no friends. So or their diary. Yeah, or, or their diary. diary. Thank you. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. 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 And uh, I would also add to this discussion that um, I've often spent my time wondering um, in a philosophical manner what Virginia Woolf's uh, Facebook would be like <laughs> oh or, gosh. you know, Oscar Wilde or, you know, this kind of thing. Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand, yeah. <laughs> Might be interesting. Yeah. So true on that. It would be interesting. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. That's clever. Very clever. Um, so, Emily, what do you want or hope to accomplish in the next two years? I suspect you will, no matter what your answer yeah, is. I'm just curious, but though. What is, what is your goal? Well, the concrete goal is to finish my seventh novel, um, submit it to literary agents and get a mainstream publishing deal, a major publishing deal, um, and get the support that I feel my books deserve because I see um, a lot of books out there with posters on the London Underground and features in a magazine and this kind of thing. And then I read the book and it's drivel and that really frustrates me and it must frustrate a lot of other writers out there who I'm sure are doing work which is you know worth people's attention and unfortunately we have a topsy turvy publishing industry that neglects um good books and tends to go with uh you know it's a, it's a who knows who kind of world isn't it um who who know you can get you further along the the gravy train or whatever than um than your talent and i think that's a very sad indictment of um you know the, the world as we know it or the the current state of affairs but um so so much had changed about so many aspects of um literature but um at the same time there is so much to say for the 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 the, uh, the potential to produce books at this point in time is probably easier than any point in history and um that's that's an exciting proposition for a lot of people who have something to say you know the accessibility of printing and publishing um your work so, um, yeah, self self publishing for sure. That's changed the dynamic, yeah. even working with uh, traditional public houses, publishing houses. But what also, it's advertising budgets 
if you know if you're mm-hmm. born into a family that's very wealthy, you write a book, and like you said, even if it's dribble, you got enough money to push it to to shove it down people's throats, and then it's everywhere. You. you know, it's on every post. Like you said, yeah. it's on posters, and then all of a sudden you start feeling like you're there's something wrong with you if you've not read it. You read it, you think it's junk, but you don't <laughs> dare say anything because everybody in the room is going to look at you and say, "Oh, you didn't like that book? It was written by so and so, so famous." Yeah. For sure. Angie, it's time for your famous oh, question. We, oh, my gosh. We've already gotten to the end of our show. Well, Emily, now comes the time that we ask you the question. We ask everyone um, that's been a guest on Thought Row, and that is if you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? Well, um, obviously, um, throughout history, there have been fascinating and inspirational and beautiful people, um, which kind of permeate our understanding of life. Mm -hmm. However, I would go straight for the main man, which is um, Mr. Jesus Christ. And I really, I really would sit on a bench with him and ask him about all the suffering in the world and what I can do about it, what we can do about it collectively. And um, how our attitudes can change to be more aligned with um, our purpose. So, um, as you can tell, I am a very philosophical person and, and a mm-hmm. spiritual person as well. So, I would go straight for the for the number one. You know <laughs> what? I think yes. the the, uh, the, the layer down of rules and laws that we all should adhere to. Um, I want to say that we've that is a brilliant and a great and yes, an answer that we answer. have tremendous respect for. We have had other people answer the same way, and they all say it with mm-hmm. passion and conviction. And we really appreciate mm-hmm. uh, your answer there. Yes. That was that was Thank good. Thank you. That's and, beautiful and you worded it really you. quite nicely. Beautiful answer. So I guess we are at the end of the yeah. show. But Emily, I want to tell you. Um, Angie and I are coming off our, what we like to call our break. Our summer break. Yeah. Our summer break. <laughs> we haven't been doing these uh, podcasts for 30 days. We've been right. doing reruns, as they say. Um, and we knew that you were going to be a great guest, and we wanted to come off of our break and have uh, a really, really great interesting conversation with somebody that we admire and respect, and we're so happy and so pleased that we've had the opportunity to speak with you and the fact that you so candidly or so openly shared your thoughts and ideas. Uh, We appreciate you very much. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Emily. Oh, you're incredibly sweet, guys. And when I came to America, I was really overwhelmed with the hospitality that um, people showed me there. And um, this experience has been no different. So thank you both immensely. You're so welcome. And thank you for sharing your creative journey and your life experiences with us. And now comes the time to let everyone know if you'd like to know more about Emily Shalom. We will have links for her under the show guest tab on thoughtroad.com so everyone can learn more about her. And please connect with her on social media. And I think you have a website, so I'm going to say check out her website. EmilyShalom.com. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you we post a new podcast every week so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode so it's bye for now from my husband rod and i wishing everyone a great day 